This is FortiCast, the podcast about Fortinet technology. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm your host, Alexa Rowe, and today I'm joined by a few special guests on our quarterly security roundtable. Jeanette, ladies first, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, Alexa. Thanks for having me. I am Jeanette Jarvis, and I'm a director of product marketing for FortiGuard Labs. And FortiGuard Labs is the threat intelligence and research arm of Fortinet. Great. Derek? Hey, it is fantastic to be here again. Derek Menke, I lead our global threat intelligence team doing threat hunting, finding the bad guys, exposing their tactics, and learning everything there is about them so we can put them into FortiGuard controls and our security fabric. Jonathan, how are you? Hi, folks. Uh, it's Jonathan Wynn. Uh, I lead the uh, Global Field CISO team. We're a bunch of former CISOs, current CISOs who travel around advising boards and leaders on all types of things involving security and risk management. Great. Well, welcome, everybody. So the threat landscape is sophisticated, and it continues to evolve in sometimes very frightening ways. Today, let's discuss the future of cybercrime. Let's start by taking a short-term approach, and then later we'll tackle a long-term stance. Jeanette, where do you see cybercrime going in the next few years? Yeah, the topic of cybercrime is really interesting. And I think one thing we're seeing a lot of right now is ransomware targeting cities and schools. And they're very targeted attacks. And some of these victims are paying and some aren't. Obviously, we advise you not to pay. But we have something that's coming up that's pretty critical that I think is going to be a target of ransomware. And that is the elections. And I think that if the cities get ransomware attacks, then what do you do with the results? They're gone, right? You either pay the money to get the election results or you wait weeks and months to recover your data because most of these businesses don't have adequate backups. And it's going to just set the whole election results in disarray. So I think that that's one thing that's coming up short term that can be extremely impactful. And at least in the U.S., I don't think we're quite prepared for that. Yeah, so we've been following cybercrime, obviously, with FortiGuard Labs for the better part of 20 years now. Cybercrime's existed since the dawn of computing, basically. It's not going to go away. It's like physical crime exists in the real world and has for millennia, right? If I look one to two years out, a couple of things that we continue to talk about, I think, are going to continue to be problems. A porous attack surface, that's really no secret, right? Attack surface has always been growing. It's porous because it's becoming more full of holes. We're finding that on our zero-day research team. It's very easy. I call it shooting fish in a barrel when we're looking at IoT and even the OT space as well, looking at devices. It's easy to find a lot of these vulnerabilities and flaws. So that's going to be the continued problem in the short term. I see that changing in the long term, and we can talk about that later. Yeah, on the talk of, of ransom, targeted ransom seems to be like the next hot thing, right? Ransomware has been around a long time now, about 10 years. You know, pay $500, get access to your data back. But what we're starting to see now is cyber criminals go after the big fish, right? Similar to spear phishing, but they're going after big data, intellectual property, denial of service, holding, you know, critical revenue streams for ransom. And that's something I think in the short term we're going to see more of, including interesting targets. I've seen news floating around of what's being referred to as siegeware, which is basically going after things in the OT space like building management systems. So imagine someone completely shutting down your power, HVAC, all systems in a building and demanding ransom. Those are the sort of interesting things, I think, that we'll start seeing in the next couple of years. And last thing I'll say is, you know, we're in the business of threat intelligence, right? So we look at playbooks. That's something we're continuing to develop. We're pioneering this in the space right now. We're mapping out the adversaries, showing how they're operating, not just where they are, what they're doing, but really who's behind it, attribution, how they're operating. And in the next two years, as we continue to do this, it's called the pyramid of pain in the industry. It's going to start to actually force the attackers to really go back to the drawing board and shift tactics. So from a strategic point of view, I think there's going to be a big shift too. Jonathan, where do you see cybercrime going in the next few years? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. From the perspective of the Pyramid of Pain, that would have been a good game show, I think. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a CrossFit right? workout. So the, the, let's go back in time to before disco, before the first Star Wars movie. And we're in 1971. There's a gentleman named John Draper. And he finds out that within the boxes of Captain Crunch cereal, there's a plastic whistle that generates a noise at 2,600 hertz. And combining that with his own blue box, he was able to freak the telephone system and allow for free phone calls. So that's the first recorded wow. cybercrime in 1971. Dawn of Star Trek, First Generation, Gilligan's Island, Starsky and Hutch, even before Starsky and Hutch. Right? That was also the epoch. Computers start counting time from that, that's, that same that's day. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. By 1973, we had a teller in New York's Dime Savings Bank embezzled somewhere on the order of $2 million with the use of a computer. By 1983, we have the advent of the movie War Games and what we conventionally now know as hacking. So cybercrime, as all crime, occurs because of a certain motivation. Three primary motivations, money, vengeance or justice, social cause, hacktivism, and then finally vanity and social media gain. So when we look at crime, cybercrime in particular, we look at motivations, we look at the opportunity, and we look at the risk and rewards ratio. It gives us an idea of what occurred, and you frame it against that, and it gives you an idea of if past is truly prologue, what's coming down the pike at us. It's a little bit different than other crimes because it's usually rational. Except in certain North Korean campaigns, things are pretty mm-hmm. rational, financially driven, politically motivated, not really driven by passion mm-hmm. or uh, environmental conditions or really drug addiction. Again, with the exception of certain North Korean campaigns, possibly. So on the whole, I think that we can take a look at past events and in, in, in cybercrime and, and see what's happening in the future. I think that cybercrime parallels the operating environment, computing, and networking in general. And what you're seeing are those couple of big mega trends that we've seen in computing and cybersecurity. One, a large and accelerated broadening of the threat landscape or the computing landscape, highly distributed ecosystems, if you will. More and more things in our lives are connected and IP-enabled, which provides the opportunity. Our data is shared more than anything else. I think it was just reported that the 20 million people in the country of Ecuador now have had all of their PII compromise, including Julian Assange. And because the opportunity is so readily available, victims are also more likely to be exposed to cybercrime. In fact, Eric, I just found out that you know 52% of all Canadians mm-hmm. out of the 37 million Canadians were the victims of some cybersecurity breach in the last year. I mean, holy cow. We're at 37 yeah. million already? Yeah, you're, you know, I just came back from Calgary where I was told that it's the land of milk and honey, it's utopia, great health care, there's no crime, and then I find out that half of all Canadians have had their identity well, 52%, compromised. 52 percent, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not a matter of if but when, right? We see that all the time. Yeah. We talk about 10 million attacks on average in just one minute that we're seeing hacking attempts anyway globally. So, And, and yeah. then the final thing of the rule of three, because I like looking at things in three, is the risk and rewards. And consistently across time, when Whenever crime exists, it's because the risks were low and the rewards were relatively high. Mm-hmm. And that really draws back to the idea that, that cybercrime, amongst all the criminal activities that we see, is truly a rational act. And so that also gives us an insight in our ability to understand the motivations behind the attacks and the criminal endeavors, but also how to combat them. And as we go through this discussion, if we think about cybercrime as a rational act, then there are things that we can apply, mm-hmm. including a scientific method, that, that gives us a very good chance to sort of hinder and, and protect against that moving forward. And what about maybe four or five years down long term? Uh, Jeanette, where do you see cybercrime going maybe four or five years from now? Four or five years from now, well, there's a lot of opportunity. Everything is connected, and consequently, there's a lot of attack surface available to exploit. But I want to talk about something I saw at DEF CON, or I listened to at DEF CON, that was really alarming for me. All of us here are frequent flyers, and I went to the airline hacking track. 
and the speakers were just really exposing a lot of vulnerabilities on airplanes. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't use an actual airplane. The companies like Boeing wouldn't give them access, thankfully. But they did look at the protocols and found the vulnerabilities where there could be access. And you know, fortunately, companies like Boeing and Airbus, they're isolating certain components on the airplane so that if you hack one area, chances are you're not going to get to another area. But that doesn't mean that you can't. There will be something that can be found. And it's just alarming to me to think that potentially we could be flying an airplane that's been hacked. And Mm -hmm. whether it's a prank or malicious, you know, consequences can really be extensive. So I'm really concerned when I hear these people exposing these vulnerabilities that really could impact human life, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So, you know, everything's vulnerable, obviously, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should Mm -hmm. also. So anyway, that's one of my big concerns. Mm -hmm. Derek, where do you see cybercrime going in the long term? Lessons learned, right? Sometimes you have to drill this into people over time. But speaking of the airplanes, too, there were some studies done before on some of the original entertainment systems that were rolled out on some airplanes that happily accepted thumb drives when you plugged into them, which was not a good thing <laughs> when you're flying 35,000 feet not in the air and you had an auto-run virus on the thumb drive, right? And there were some POCs that did some warm outbreaks on airplanes, which is a little scary too. But anyway, that's not happening anymore. So people do learn. Security protocols do change. And I think, you know, again, if I if I look at one to two years out, we got a lot of problems ahead of us, right? If we look four to five years out, I think, and you know, I have faith in humanity here, that we're going to start to see some changing of the guard. I think that porous attack surface that I've been talking about, the damage has kind of already been done right now because we're dealing with, you know, 20 plus billion devices that are already shipped out there. What IoT vendors are just starting to go through now is what Microsoft went through 20 years ago, as an example. Mature security stacks. So that's already the wheels are in motion. So I'm hoping four to five years out that that porous attack surface, those holes are going to start to be plugged more. So what I'm trying to say is I think there's some positive news ahead, but it's going to take a while, four to five years. It's just natural through, you know, product security teams being built up and so forth. I think we're going to see some interesting tactics, counterintelligence as we roll out deception technologies, different strategies that cyber criminals are going to have to use. It's always that arms race, right? That arms race, I think, is still going to be there, but it's going to change. I truly believe that, you know, in the world of AI and machine learning, I think right now, cyber criminals enjoy a lot of advantages, right? There's a false uh, sense of security. They're very brave, obviously. They just get slaps on the wrist a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. They can do a million things wrong, and they don't care. We do a million things right, one thing wrong, and it's Mm -hmm. a big issue, right, in the security industry. So that's a challenge we're up against. But I think, you know, four to five years down the line, that they're going to have to start switching to other tactics because what they're enjoying right now, that path of least resistance, like that porous attack surface, that's going to start to close up. And when it comes to the security industry, because we have to do this to get ahead of them, we're investing a lot into AI and machine learning. Things that black hat attackers on offensive security, they don't have to do right now because they're enjoying that path of least resistance. So I think that we actually have the opportunity to really pave the way in terms of, you know, proactive defense when it comes to fully autonomous networks. It's a bit ambitious to say that's going to happen in four to five years. Maybe that's the concept of self-healing networks and things like this. I think that's further out. But this is where we're going to be heading to combat cybercrime in about four to five years. I think there's good news ahead. I think that four to five years, I'm not going to say it's going to be a golden age, but there's going to be some wins anyway uh, on our side, right? Law enforcement included, too. Just this year, the world's first cybercrime law school for prosecutors was opened as well. Wow. Things like that, four to five years later, I think there's going to be a lot more education and a lot more collaborative work to tackle cybercrime. So, Jonathan, when you look into your crystal ball, where do you see cybercrime going in the long term? 
35 years, so after the first cyber crime, we now have a law school generating more lawyers. <laughs> right. What this world really needs are more lawyers. Um, you know, I think we're in a twofold. I think from a human basis, which is the root of all cyber crime, I think we're in a generational change right now. There's a generation of elderly people who are still being victimized in rural Dorchester County, Maryland, which is hmm. out there in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. A little old lady got taken for $262,000, mm-hmm. but then she contacted the FBI and they did a sting operation with the local sheriff's office. Two weeks later, three Nigerian nationals with Atlanta driver's licenses show up in rural Maryland to pick up $50,000 and they were promptly arrested. That's still happening, but I think societally, there's a larger sense of security awareness now. So I think those types of scams will be on the decline. Maybe the uh, Nigerian royal family will get their good name back. All these wayward sons, these wayward princes out there doing scams is an awful thing. But at the same time, I think 99% of all the data breaches that the research, and I've seen, of course, over time, has been a result of phishing. So I think that that will still go on. Derek mentioned a lot about artificial intelligence and machine learning. You know, we're seeing now AI-based or enabled attacks around business email compromises mm-hmm. and crimes. I think it was last week that there was a certain executive in the UK who received a phone call that was really AI-powered. Mm-hmm. The voice yeah. sounded a lot like the chairman of their German-owned mm-hmm. parent company. And then this gentleman transferred $234,000 to an account in Austria, which was then wired to an account in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it was only stopped after the third call when he realized he looked at the caller ID and so the number was from Austria rather than Germany. And so it's a good reminder about the human nature itself and the root of all yeah. these weaknesses, which is, as I was taught in the Foreign Service Institute, was sex, money, and vanity. The root of all human weaknesses and just about all cybercrime was a con game mm-hmm. around those three primary base uh, human motivations, if you will. And so as we take a look at what's going to happen, it's going to be exploitations of human weaknesses. As those human weaknesses are enabled by greater points of IP enablement, you'll see more of that. You'll see that as we deploy more IoT and smart devices. You'll see prepayment mechanisms within refrigerators and scheduled maintenance checks, all that have uh, e-commerce engines built into them. You'll see that compromise. But I also see that no matter what we do, this doesn't go away. No, yeah, and I agree. it doesn't go away until you fundamentally change the dynamic, the risk and reward side mm-hmm. of cyber crime. And the very infrastructure of the internet itself. <laughs> right. and, and if anything, I Quantum think it's spreading, right? Yeah. So the barriers entry certainly haven't gone up. The risk really haven't gone up. Mm-hmm. And now you see not only criminal enterprises joining in, they've been there for, for since time immemorial, at least since 1972. And certainly now nation states actually generating income through cybercrime. The usual rogues gallery of suspects uh, come to mind. Hezbollah, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, the North Koreans, all use cyber criminal activities to fund nation state activities and budgets as well. So I think in the short term, you're going to see more damage, more impact, more people victimized by cybercrime. I think what you'll see particularly being exploited are nations and enterprises that are really not up to speed yet. Because what all the technology that Derek spoke to mm-hmm. that are really optimistic, you must have voted for Trudeau, did you? Did you do that? <laughs> um, really are turned on its head by the other side. Right. So AI is used by criminals. Machine yeah. learning is used by criminals. And the very tools that we use to defend ourselves are readily available. So it's a bit of an arms race in many ways. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, unfortunately, worse to come before things get better. But I think that in the next generation of people and technology, we have the opportunity. And again, if you're going to right the ship, 
you've got to take a look at the past and see where do you fix these structural problems that enable cybercrime in the first place. And I think when we talk about that, we'll talk about that need for something that's broad, integrated, and automated, right? Yeah. And of course, we haven't even mentioned this, but when people talk about from an infrastructure perspective of the future, we're talking edge computing too, right? Yeah. And that is obviously going to present a whole wealth of targets for cybercrime too. So at the heart of this, what happens over the next three years, I think, is how do you really deconstruct the crime, forensically deconstruct cybercrimes across, I would say, 10 major categories, and then understand the human involvement, and how do you take that out or negate that, right? So that you don't have one of my parents, for instance, clicking on a link or downloading things or seeing a message in Facebook and saying, oh my God, there's a distressed American officer in prison abroad and I need to send $100. Well, humans are so easily manipulated yeah, too, right? right That's yeah. the thing is we, and, we're yeah. gullible. Well, ma- manipulated, but also bad habits persist a long time. Like what we're doing on the playbook analysis now by truly understanding how these cyber criminals move and, and then employing, and this is the future, right? Employing that with AI machine learning. It's like weather forecasting, right? And start to actually be able to predict the next move of cyber criminals too. That's a development on the threat hunting part, but it's fascinating on its own too. And I think we're going to start to see a lot of interesting things come up in the future on that too. One comment I wanted to make about what you said, Jonathan, around nation states is that there are countries that are economically poor, but technology rich. So I'm going to say North Korea is one example. And that makes them very powerful. Mm -hmm. So in a traditional war field, they would be nothing. But in cyber war, they're everything and they're Mm -hmm. causing a lot of havoc. Another thing I want to talk about, home automation, I think you brought that up, mm, yeah, both of you. Um, building management. And- I think that more and more it's becoming a real thing, and it's going to be a huge target because we give up a lot of privacy for convenience. Absolutely. And you don't realize the vulnerability that you're putting yourself into with some of these contraptions. And for Pete's sake, I, honestly, I don't need my refrigerator to tell me when I'm out of milk, mm-hmm. right? And who knows if their security cameras are watching you and transmitting that on the Internet or your TV. So I do see likelihood in the future for this kind of exploit to really get worse and even ransomware around your home, locking your home up, Mm -hmm. right? And then what do you do? How do you recover for that, right? People just don't know. And generally, consumer has no idea their security risk or how to counter that at all. I think the Jetsons, do you remember the cartoon, the Jetsons? They tricked us. They made all this automation look cool. fun and cool, yeah, yeah. right? There was no bad guys out there manipulating pick things. Your, yeah, your yeah. wardrobe out every day for you, right? Exactly. I mean, it, was, it was a fantasy world, right? Uh, any final thoughts? Jonathan, why don't you go? I think visibility is going to be harder and harder as we move increasingly towards a cashless society and everything becomes digitized. The inability for us to really understand what's happening around us, the inability to detect those telltale signs of anomalous behavior will make battling cybercrime very, very difficult. I think that cybercrime, as of all things, happens because it pays. And the only way to disrupt the trajectory of cybercrime, that's a nice catchphrase, is to really change the risk-rewards balance. So if you can make it harder to compromise information and then to take it to a marketplace, then you can effectively change the course of cybercrime. Until that happens, I just don't think things are going to change. We're always going to be more vulnerable as we more and more interconnected and, and IP-enabled. I think the sooner we get to those basic things done, security awareness, multi-factor authentication, really automated visibility detection and response capabilities across the board, what we do here at Fortnite with regards to the fabric, and taking those enterprise lessons in, into the individual world is going to help because that's where cybercrime is moving. Mm-hmm. Because as nation states and enterprises become more hardened and robust, criminals always take the path of least resistance. 
And so they will inherently begin to refocus their efforts on individuals. And, and that's a challenge because individuals really do not have those types of capabilities. So yeah. yeah, I hate to be the doom and gloom of all things, but I don't see a lot of good things happening until the basics are undertaken. Yeah, yeah, it takes some time for those basics, I think. And you mentioned individuals. Yeah, like I would say, I mean, a couple of things, the risk and reward. I mean, like we always say, Forty Guard, what we're trying to do is always make it, our strategy is to make it more expensive for cyber criminals to operate. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Obviously you do it through, you mentioned a multi-factor authentication, segmentation, everything we're doing, the fabric, layering up defense, that helps. But, you know, I mentioned the collaboration piece, and this is just the world of cybercrime. It is unique, right? It's much different than the world of physical crime, in a sense. While the worlds converge, especially when we get to these scenarios like with building management systems and smart home automation where somebody can know when you're at your home or when you're at your vacation home and remotely unlock your door, that's the future of cybercrime too. So that's that convergence piece we're going to have. But in the traditional world of cybercrime, it has no borders. We're constantly running into issues of jurisdiction when it comes to the law enforcement piece as well. I mean, that's why we work with Interpol as well now. There has to be no individual efforts. and It's all about collaboration, which is a big part of what we're paving roads with. Fortinet and FortiGuard, the Information Sharing Alliance, the Cyber Threat Alliance, you know, working with law enforcement and so forth. That's something I think that's definitely key in the future so that people can rest a little bit easier at night. (laughs) You know, you mentioned kind of the human factor, if you will, and I think there's one thing we didn't really touch on, and that is hacking the human. Already, we're starting to see reputation damage because of sophisticated manipulation. Example was the voice thing that you talked about, but also, humans are getting implants, and if you're being tracked, and you can be actually hacked. What do you do when either your reputation is hacked, or your body is hacked, or your heart monitor is hacked? What do you do? There's sometimes no recovery, I don't think, or extremely difficult. How do you recover a reputation that has been sophisticatedly manipulated because of the bad guys, or because of a prank? That's really going to be a problem. But I do want to say, for a follow-up to what Derek said about collaboration, that's what I think is really key, you know. Not everybody has all that same information, so it's really critical that we all in the industry collaborate, walk the talk Mm -hmm. about protecting the ecosystem and put the connection points together regarding the adversaries and what they're doing and what are the new tactics and techniques, and really truly collaborate and work together to help solve the problem that we're seeing today and that could potentially get extremely worse. Well, I just want to thank you all for joining me today and giving us a little snapshot and big picture view of the future of cybercrime. And for our listeners out there, I'm Alexa Rowe, and stay tuned for our next security roundtable, as well as our next installment of 40Casts, the podcast about Fortinet technology. You can find information about 40Cast on our website, 40cast.fortinet.com. This episode was edited by Victoria Martin. Our music is from bensound.com. You can listen and subscribe to 40Cast in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. If you have any questions, our email is 40cast at fortinet.com.